Well, good morning, Third Street. Good morning. Good morning. If you don't know me, my name is Corey. I'm uh, the lead pastor here at Third Street Community Church, and this morning it is my distinct honor and privilege to be the one who gets to bring the word of our Lord directly to your living room. We are continuing this week, uh, week two of a series that we started last week called Verified. Church, did you remember that that's what we were doing? Can you say verified? Verified. Verified. I don't know about any of you, but I'm not a uh, blue checkmark person. I, uh, I do not have a blue checkmark next to any of my social media. I am not verified. It could be fake account. You don't really know. Um, but also, I think you have to have more than like eight followers to be able to like get that blue check mark. Shout out to you if you're a blue check mark person. Welcome. Uh, I'm glad that you're with us. We are celebrating the fact that our Lord and Savior is in fact verified. That long before Twitter and the verification that came with the blue check mark, Christ did something so unthinkable, so unimaginable, that He in fact announced himself verified just by showing up in the room. So what we're covering in this series over the next several weeks leading up to the day of Pentecost is we are talking about um, the biblical accounts that we know of where Christ appeared to people resurrected. Last week we talked about, um, we talked about the testimony of Mary Magdalene. The fact that Jesus appeared to her first in his resurrection form. And Deshaun encouraged us to keep in mind that our stories, though we might not feel as if society would value them, though we may not feel as if we are given a voice at the table, it is by the blood of the Lamb, that is Christ Jesus on the cross, and the word of, yes, your testimony that will see to which the devil is defeated. This week we move on from the appearance of Christ to Mary Magdalene to a story that may be familiar uh, to some of us, but we find in Luke chapter 24. Whew, it's tough over there. Uh, <laughs> I mean, y'all heard me pause to listen to it. So, I mean, I couldn't not acknowledge it. God bless the children. It's probably mine. Um, (laughs) If you're with me, go ahead and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. If you have your physical Bible, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's the third book of the New Testament. If you don't, it's okay. It's up here on the screen. We're going to go to chapter 24, which is indicated by the big number 24. We're going to drop down to the selection where it's just a little bitty number 13, which is how we know what verse it is. So this is Luke chapter 24. We're going to start in verse 13, and we got a bit of reading to do today, so buckle up. Here we go. The Gospel of Luke says this, that that very day, two of them, two disciples, two followers of Christ, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had just happened. Remember the season we came out of, right? Arriving at the Passover feasts, the arrest, the trial, the crucifixion 
of Jesus. They were talking about all the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And Jesus said to them, what is this conversation that you're having with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? My guy, are you not even on Twitter? And Jesus said to them, what things? Sly guy. And they responded to Jesus concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And besides this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning. And when they didn't find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us, they, they, they went to the tomb and they found it just as the women had said. But him, meaning Jesus, they did not see. And Jesus said to them, idiots, oh foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening, and the day is far spent. And so Jesus went in to stay with them. And he was at the table with them. And he took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And then Jesus vanished from their sight. The disciples said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Imagine, if you can, their experience. Imagine the disciples, not just the 12, but masses. People who, who left everything they knew to follow Jesus. Imagine, imagine them leaving their jobs their livelihoods, their money behind to follow Jesus. Imagine them leaving their relationships, their best friends that they grew up with, their mother, their father, their cousins that they played dodgeball with in the streets. 
their spouses, their significant others. Because none of those relationships were even close to as important as the glory that would follow from following Jesus. Imagine making the tough call to leave school and the security of your own career path behind in order to follow this relatively unknown, pre-verified Jesus to places unknown. Imagine making the tough decision to being willing to sacrifice absolutely anything in order to follow this teacher, this prophet, this miracle worker. He takes you to lands that you would have never dared go through before. He walks you through the very streets mom and dad told you not to even drive through. And he did it in the name of redeeming your people. And then they gather, not just, not just their people, and not just in the city, but people from all over their known world cram into this city for the biggest celebration of the year, the Passover. It is the peak of your cultural celebration for the year. And as they gather together to celebrate, all who believe Jesus to be who he says he is, all of those who have not yet become aware, all of those who are haters and activists against, everyone is in the city, but they're all in the city to celebrate the same thing. And in the middle of what is supposed to be the biggest celebration of the year, the time to kick back, chill with the one that you left it all behind for, He's wrongly accused. He's unjustly arrested in, your, in front of your face. He is illegally tried. And then right there, in front of everyone, he's publicly executed. I'm not an expert. Not a trained counselor. I took psychology 101 and I stopped. But I believe that to be a traumatic experience. I believe what they carried with them after experiencing all of that was trauma. They carried with them the trauma that they had experienced in Jerusalem. And as they walk toward Emmaus, three days after the most traumatic experience of their life, they're stuck. I mean, they're physically moving. They are going to the place they're supposed to go to, but they're stuck. They're stuck on the horrible events that had transpired three days earlier. They're stuck on this traumatic event. Mentally, emotionally, they're sad. They just can't move on. And then this man, this traveler, comes alongside of them. He's like, why y'all sad? And they're like, dude, 
you've got to be the only person who doesn't know how hard this is. Like, (laughs) you're asking me these questions, but if you knew what I have been through, you'd just leave me alone, man. If you knew why we were sad, you'd let us just be sad. They're stuck in their suffering. And they're so stuck as disciples that they forget their theology. They forget that Isaiah, long before any of them were ever born, a passage that mom and pop taught to you as a little child, said that the Messiah would be a suffering servant, that he would wear your sorrow, that he would carry your transgressions. They forgot what they had known since they were children, that the prophet said the Messiah would have to go through, that the Messiah would suffer, that the Messiah would die. They forgot that even just a few weeks ago, as they followed Jesus, they heard him affirm these things and say that I I will be given over. I will go on from this place to die. I will suffer. And some disciples argued, right? Peter's like, nah, it's not going down like that. Not with me here. I got a dagger and stuff. Far be it from you, Lord. You ain't doing it. Jesus is like, I got to, right? He says, you're being the devil right now. You got to move. But they're so stuck in their suffering. They're so stuck on what has happened to them that they've forgotten this. And then they express their disappointment that even in their traumatic experience, even in their hard times, our religious leaders and our political leaders let us down. They said it was our chief priests and our rulers that were the ones that handed them over. Imagine that. They made it worse. Now, I know none of us have had that experience with our religious leaders or our politicians. But for them, they made it worse. And they're they're upset. They're sad. They're let down. And they're hopeless. church if you find yourself resonating with the position of these two disciples if you find yourself feeling lost hopeless sad I have good news I have good news even when we're sad even when we're let down Even when we're hopeless, Jesus walks with us. Even when we're so focused on our suffering, Jesus walks with us. Even when we can't even think to eat this morning because of the weight and heaviness that we feel in our hearts because of what's going on in our lives, Jesus walks with us. 
even when we can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, even when we have no idea what's going to help, even when the advice of our friends seems to be not all that it, that I'm looking for it to be, even when that book that I've been reading that I can't put down isn't as helpful as it felt the other day, even when asking Steve Harvey doesn't seem to be good advice anymore. Some people, you know what I'm saying? Even when we're stuck in our suffering, Jesus walks with us. Even when we forget all that we've been taught. Even when we forget how to pray. Even when we forget the testimony of how we even got here in the first place. Jesus walks with us. Even when our political leaders let us down, even when we had had so much hope that this government official would change things to match my heart, and then it doesn't happen, because it never does. Even when we put all our hope in this religious leader because I like the things that that person is saying. I like the way that they make the text come alive. I like the way that they make me feel. I like the way that they present it. Even when that person lets us down. Even when the people that are verified on Instagram that are bringing that little bit of positivity to our scroll let us down. Jesus walks with us. Now I know, because I can see it in your face. Some of you, that hits. Some of you are like, dude, I know. I know, right? God is always with me. Like, I get it. Some of you, some of you have been told this for so long that you've already checked out. Well, if you know way, if you know, then why are you still looking for the easy way out? If you know that Jesus is walking with you, then why are you still looking for the solution that makes you feel better instead of relying on Christ's promise of the way? See, the disciples, the disciples had wanted the easy way out of their suffering. They had been through some trauma. They were distraught. They watched their Savior's body get crumpled down into the dust and a big old heavy rock that wasn't none of them going to team up and move cover his grave. They watched their hope go in the ground. They watched their redemptive plan get stepped on by the religious and the political leaders of our world. And so when they had heard when they had heard that his body wasn't in there anymore, they ran with hope. But where did they go? They went to the tomb. If you know he's not there, why are you going there? If you had heard the testimony that he got up and moved on from that dead place, why are you going back to the dead place? 
Why, to quote the angels, are you looking for the living amongst the dead? And so they go to the tomb. And what do they feel? Disappointed. Because, I mean, yeah, the grave is empty, and I guess that that's evidence or whatever, but I thought Jesus would be like, here, and he's not. I thought I could go back to this dead place, and then even ignoring the signs of evidence that Christ has hope for me and is going to move me on, I thought he'd be waiting in a lawn chair right here for me, eating Doritos or Takis or something. They're walking sad because they had wished this would all be over by now. After all, it is the third whole day. It's the third whole day I've been sad, Jesus. Where you at? I mean, I've been praying for you to resurrect this situation for how long now? Where are you at? What does Jesus say? He offers a Stern rebuke. When you read this in the original language, it's, it's like, oh, like, I'm glad Jesus isn't calling me an idiot. Like, that's like for our private time. He did it to them in scripture. That's tough. He says, you're foolish. Actually, he says, you're slow of heart, which means you know things, but you haven't let it sink in here. Like, you know what's going to happen, but you're not living like it. You're slow of heart. And then he goes on to say the part that none of us want to talk about, which is, wasn't it necessary that the Christ suffers? Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer? Wasn't it necessary for Christ to in order to defeat sin, to take it all on. And in order to resurrect and come back to life, to in the first place die. Wasn't it necessary? No suffering, no glory. Wasn't it necessary for him to be able to come into glory and take all who believe with him for him to first suffer and die? No suffering, No glory, no death, no life, no dark Friday, no bright Sunday. That's why LeBron's ring in Cleveland means more than anything that KD has done ever. That's for free. (laughs) We say... We say we want to follow Christ. We say that by any means we want to experience the power of the resurrection. But we show in our dailies that we don't want to suffer. We don't want to experience hard things. We don't want to be going through it, as the kids say. I don't know if that's what they say. My kids are young. They say it's a lot of feelings. I have a lot of feelings. Peter says he, meaning Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we're able to be healed. 
In other words, we're not able to overcome if Jesus doesn't do what he did. And we're not ever, ever able to experience righteousness if we don't also go and face our sin and our suffering. The Apostle Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. In other words, yeah, this is hard, but where I'm going is greater. James says, Count it all joy, my brothers. You know, the one that we say or we post on our Instagrams, but we don't really believe. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It's like learning to ride a bike. And I don't mean because you never forget it. I mean because if you let the fear of the fall, if you let the scars that are, guys, they're inevitable. If you let the doubt of being able to win and to figure it out rule your decision, you'll never learn to ride. Had you not gone through all God has taken you through up to this point, would you have the power that you have now? Would you have the strength that you have now? Would you have the courage that you have now? Had you not withstood the suffering that the world brings with Christ's endurance? Would you have all that you have now? See, God is brilliant. God is infinitely more creative than we are. See, God found a way to use the path of this broken world and even in its brokenness, use it to still shape us, to look more like him. So that even though we're in the world, even though the world happens to us, even though the world happens around us, somehow, miraculously, through faith, we come out looking more like Jesus than before. So it is true that suffering doesn't feel good. Where have you been looking for the easy way out? Where is it? In what area of life? When he has said, move, but you look for reasons to stay. When he has said, trust, but you look for reasons to doubt. When he has said, be bold, but you look for reasons to hide. See, brothers and sisters, God wants to light this refining fire inside of you, not underneath you. And when we trust God in the process... We come out looking like Christ. As a matter of fact, James goes on to elaborate by saying that he's going to hold you there. He's holding you, but he's going to hold you in the fire until he looks at you, a precious metal, and sees his reflection. He's going to pull you out at that point. But until then, you're in the fire. And we want to talk about the fire, but we want to forget that he's holding us. And when we stay in it long enough, yeah. precious metal, what you come out with is the power to overcome. Yeah. 
When you've been through some suffering, Christ gives you the power to overcome our financial difficulties, the power to overcome our broken relationships, the power to overcome our generational curses, the power to overcome our thoughts that keep plaguing our minds, the power to overcome all things we have taken on or picked up that is simply not ours to carry. But we've got to trust God in the suffering. No suffering, no glory. And thank God it doesn't end with the disciples being blind. It doesn't have to end that way, right? When they're at the table and Jesus took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, their eyes were open. Why is that special? It's weird to me because if they're going to somebody else's house, the custom is for the host to sit at the head of the table. The custom is for the host to bless the meal. The custom is for the host to break the bread. So why is Jesus the one doing it? Well, you might say because he's Jesus. But they didn't know that. When he got into a position at the head of the table and he broke bread, their eyes were open and they were immediately compelled to get up and go tell everyone what the Lord has done. I've come here just for a little bit longer, just long enough to tell you that only when we position ourselves at the Lord's table the way he would set it, can our eyes be open to what God is doing in our lives. Only when we position ourselves at the Lord's table the way that he would set it can our eyes be open to what God is doing at our lives. And I know enough of you are looking at me like, you're going to talk about that then? Like, you're going to tell me how it's set then? Forks on the left or on the right? I don't know. I still haven't figured it out. But what I do know is that Christ would have God at the head of the table. I do know that Christ would have it be so that there are believers who are also walking this walk to your right and to your left. And I do know that the Lord would see to it that the conviction to seek the kingdom is what's firing your hearts. But that's not what we do all the time. Yeah, you're going to stop amening me now because I'm about to talk about you. We like to put ourselves at the head of the table. Well, this is my table. This is my house, my story, my bank account, my relationships, mine. This is what, this is my life. I'm at the head of the table. And Jesus, you can have a council seat to my right, but I'm at the head of the table. We like to, we like for our company to be the people who are going to agree with us. We like our table, our company, to the right and to the left to be the people who are going to affirm our feelings, the people who are going to continue to support us, but they ain't going to come nowhere near challenging us, right? We want the people, we want the yes men, we want the yes women, we want the people who align with our spirits, align with our current condition, who's going to leave us in our suffering after all to be on our right and our left. Oh, and the conviction... The conviction is to seek our own comfort. 
But that's not how the Lord would set his table. Church, I got to go. I got to let you get to lunch. So let me just leave you with this reminder. That in every season, through every journey, Jesus walks with you. And as we go through things, a privilege that's given to us by following Jesus is that we get a choice to let our suffering break us or to let it make us more like Jesus. That's a choice that we have. If you don't feel more like Christ, and you feel like staying in your suffering, if you're letting the suffering break you, that's a choice. We can become more like Christ. And lastly, but certainly not least, I would encourage all of us to keep our sufferings away from the head nodders. And to take our sufferings to the Lord's table. Because at the Lord's table, if appropriately set, our eyes will be open to what God is doing in our lives and through this circumstance. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to receive from your spirit. Lord, I pray, I pray that your spirit would stir our hearts in the right direction. Lord, I pray that you would show us the ways our table is inadequately set. I pray that you would show us Show us. We want to know, what are you doing? What are you up to? Lord, as your spirit stirs us towards the conviction to posture ourselves correctly, we have faith that you will open our eyes. We continue to trust in you with these things. In Jesus' name, all who believe say, bless God.